And uh, we, are, man, we are looking at the life of Jesus through, uh, through the lens of the Gospel of John. And we close out chapter 6 today. And uh, we spent really in the last three Sundays, so four Sundays total, in John chapter 6. And it's a pretty, pretty exciting chapter. I mean, if you remember that, that John chapter 6, it starts out with Jesus feeding 15,000 hungry people. Um, and then uh, the next part, we see Jesus walking on water in the middle of a storm. Uh, and then last week, Jesus throws down this really hard teaching. And he, he says to the crowd, he says, you know, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And uh, this turns a lot of people off. And he's not talking literally. He's talking figuratively at this moment. But, uh, but John chapter 6 is pretty loaded. And, uh, and as we read the Gospels, we, we see, basically we see three different groups of people, okay? Uh, we can categorize people. We see people who they just flat out reject Jesus, okay? They, they deny who Jesus is. Um, they, they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Uh, we see a group of people that, uh, that follow Jesus, but they follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. Um, they're false disciples, uh, and then we see another group of people who, who are true disciples. They're following Jesus for all the right reasons. And today, at the end of John chapter 6, Jesus addresses the, um, the latter two. Because false Christianity or false discipleship, it's, it has the appearance of belief. It has the appearance of, of trekking along with Jesus. But, but right underneath the surface, right underneath the veneer, is this, uh, is this heart of, of unbelief. And Jesus, he goes out of his way to make sure people don't think that they're Christians when they're really not. He goes out of his way in his life and his ministry and his teachings to make sure that people don't get to the end of their lives and only to discover that they've been following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Because one of the foundations of Jesus' teachings is that he wanted to make sure people really understood what it meant to follow him. That, that it wasn't a cultural thing. It, 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 wasn't a, uh, uh, it wasn't a pyramid scheme. It wasn't to get something from God. But really, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and, and he didn't want people to misunderstand what it meant to follow Jesus back then. And he certainly doesn't want people today to misunderstand what following Jesus means today. And so as we, uh, as we get ready, let's, let me just set the, uh, set the table a little bit. Uh, I, I want us to review a little bit that the word disciple in the Greek is the word methetes, and it means student. And there's this word picture that goes along with that to say that, that we follow so closely that we're covered with the dust of our teacher's sandals, okay? Uh, and, and so that would mean that the word discipleship uh, is just literally the process of following as a student, okay? And so as we look at John chapter 6, three things that we see in the passage this morning. Let me give them to you up front, and then we'll unpack them as we go along. But this morning, we see the danger of false discipleship, that there's a danger to that. Uh, we see the kinds of false discipleship, of what are some wrong motivations to follow Jesus. And then we close our time as we prepare our hearts 
uh, to receive communion this morning. It's talking about the essence of true discipleship. So if you have your Bibles, you can, uh, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 6 this morning. John chapter 6. If you didn't bring your Bibles, you can pull it up on your phone or we'll throw it up on the screen for you. But John chapter 6, as we begin by talking about the dangers of false discipleship. Now, remember Jesus, he, uh, he just, you know, unloaded this heavy, this heavy teaching um, by saying, you know, that, you know, my flesh and my blood is what gives life. That it's, it's life-sustaining, it's life-saving. That, And again, he's not talking, uh, when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's not talking figuratively. He's, talk, he's, I mean, he's not talking literally, he's talking figuratively. And basically saying, I've got to be the one and only. We just sang about it. Nothing comes close to Jesus being the center of our life. So verse, uh, let's jump in at verse 60. It says, on hearing it, and that's that difficult, hard teaching, Many of his disciples, not just the 12, he has a lot of disciples, a lot of followers at this point. Um, On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? Now, when, um, um, when his disciples say, when these followers say this is a hard teaching, they're not saying that this is, this is hard to understand. Okay. The Greek word here that that they use, that John uses, is they're not saying this is hard to understand. They're literally saying this is hard to accept, okay? We understand it. This isn't hard to comprehend. This is hard. This is difficult to embrace. So that, that's what they're saying after he says this, that this is hard. This is difficult to accept and embrace. Look at verse 61. It says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. So, you know, they're having sidebarred conversations over here. They're like, can you believe what Jesus said? Can you believe he actually said we got to eat his flesh and drink his blood? I mean, can you believe that he said that? That we've got to be, you know, he's got to be our one and only. He's got to be more important than anything. So they're grumbling. And he knows this because he's got this little Jesus radar thing. And he knows what's in our hearts and our minds. So we might as well say it out loud. He says, aware that the disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man, that's himself, ascend to where he was before? And the Spirit gives life and flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. So, so these people, these, these are disciples, they're followers. They've been tracking around with Jesus. They're insiders. And he says to them, I've known along, all along that some of you, man, you, you're following me for the wrong reasons. Some of you don't really believe that I am who I say I am and, and I can do what I say I can do and I will do what I said I would do. Verse 65. And then so he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. In other words, your, your journey with God, our journey with God doesn't start when we wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'll pursue God today. No, God has been pursuing us since day one. God has been pursuing us. He's been coming after us. He, he, he's, been, he's been calling us to himself and he awakens our hearts. He awakens our mind. He awakens our spirit to, to his truth and to his reality and who he is and what he's done for us. And he calls us to himself. And Jesus says that no one comes to the Father unless, my, no one comes to the Father unless he calls them or unless he enables them. And from this time on, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
You see, this is the deal with false discipleship. It, it starts out like everything else, like everyone else. But right underneath the service, surface, there's this hidden ulterior motive or this bad motive that will eventually show itself because people will start dropping out. Now, now the danger of false discipleship is this, is that people do not come to grips with the incredible lordship claims of Jesus. Let me say that again, that, that the danger of false discipleship is people do not come to grips. In other words, we don't critically think. We don't critically engage the, the scriptures with, with our minds and our hearts and our souls and, and let, them, let them come from the inside out and let, um, let Jesus' claims, his teachings really impact our lives. And Jesus says that I have to be your meat and drink. In other words, he's, what he's saying to his followers and what he's saying to us is that, that, that he must be the center of our lives, that he must be the one that keeps us going, that he must be the one that defines us. And so we have to just pause for a moment. Let's pause and let's just kind of ask ourselves, what is the center of our lives? What, what is it that keeps us, that gets us up in the morning and keeps us going? What is it that defines us? What is it that we, that we put our identity on and, and say, you know, if I can accomplish this or if I can do this or if I can have that, then I will finally feel like I've made it. Is it success? Is it, is it power? Is it title? Is it position? Is it wealth? Is it health? Is it achievement? Is it, is, is it just being needed? I mean, some of us feel so good about ourselves because people need something from us and it just makes us feel important. What is it that defines us? Because Jesus says, I have to be your meat and drink. I, I, I must be your first and foremost. And what Jesus says all through the Gospels is that it, it, it's not enough for me just to be your example. It's not enough for me just to be your coach. It's not enough for me just to be your teacher or your moral guide or your good luck charm. Jesus says, I must. In fact, I'm drawing the line. I must be your one and only. I must be the center. I must be your Lord. I must be your everything. And people started turning away. These first disciples, these first followers, these, these insiders that get to see Jesus, hear Jesus, touch Jesus, they start choking on this very difficult saying, not because it was hard to comprehend. And, oh, Jesus, he's talking at such a deep level. Oh, that's so deep. I mean, people, you know, people say, oh, man, I, I love this communicator. I love this communicator. He's just so deep. Nobody's ever said that about me, by the way. Um, but they'll say, he's just so deep. I'm like, all right, great. What did he say? I don't know, but it's so deep. But, but Jesus is saying, I, I, you know, to these insiders, they're, they're choking on this, this teaching because it's hard to accept. And it is. Let's just be honest. This is a daily struggle that we go through every single day. And how tragic and dangerous would it be to go our entire lives thinking that we were truly following Jesus, but we've never experienced the freeing power of the gospel? How tragic would it be to go our whole life thinking, yeah, 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 I believe the cross and I believe Jesus died for my, for my sins, but, but, but he did 80% of the work and I, I've got to spend the rest of my days doing 20% of the work. How tragic would that be? 
Because at the end of the day, we're going to have to ask ourselves, did I do enough? Was I good enough? That we think it's our performance and our record and our religious activities. That's, that would be tragic to think that. And so Jesus wants to make sure that we know that it's all him. It's all of his work for salvation. It's all of him that defines us. It's all of him that is the center of our lives and everything flows out of that. That's the danger of false discipleship. So what are the different kinds of false discipleship? Well, let's look at some of the people that John mentions in um, chapter six. Go, go back to verse two because the first people we see um, are, is the crowd surfer. Look back at verse two. It says, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And so these are the crowd surfers. This is the mob mentality, the mob, the mob psychology. This is peer pressure at its finest. Not only can peer pressure cause us not to trust in Jesus, but peer pressure could kind of get us to follow Jesus. And, uh, and so people kind of go along with the crowd. The only problem is they never think for themselves. They never engage Jesus' teachings critically in their hearts and their minds for themselves. And so as a result, you know, it's like, you know, some of us come to church just because, you know, our parents make us. I mean, I get it, man. I was one of those for a long time, okay? And then I saw there were really cute girls in the, in the, in the youth ministry. And I thought, well, that's the reason why I'm going to go to church now. And we go to church for the wrong reason. Maybe some of us are here because mama said, hey, we're all going to church in the morning. And we don't have any ball games, so we're all going. Maybe some of us go to church because we want our kids to be introduced to some moral principles. Because we realize, whoa, man, see something scary in our kids. Maybe church can fix them. But all this is a mob mentality and so these are crowd surfers they're going after Jesus because the crowd's going after Jesus next group of people we have we have the thrill seekers look at verse 26 it says and Jesus answered very truly I tell you you were looking for me not because you because not because you saw the signs I performed but because you ate the loaves and had your fill so these are the people who went after Jesus because he did something for them. They, they, they saw a miracle. They, uh, they, they saw what Jesus could do for them. And, and, it, and it becomes a give and take, quid pro quo relationship. If I do this for God, then God will do this for me. That if, uh, you know, as long as God goes along with my terms, I'll follow him. But if he deviates from my plan, well, then uh, I'll not check back in with him. So the problem with that is we don't have an intense personal relationship like we talked about last week, this intense personal relationship with the Father, with our Savior, with, with, with Jesus. Next person we see is the guilt tripper. And, and, and you know, when John 6 doesn't mention him, but I think we're all pretty familiar with the guilt tripper because this person, they hang around Jesus to make them feel better about themselves. That, that we hang around church and we we, we do church because we think, well, if I can get enough good things going on here, it'd make me feel better about the bad things that I've done. And so, so everything we do is a makeup call to God because, it, because we feel guilty, because we don't realize that Jesus dealt with our guilt and our shame on the cross. And the next, next person is the front runner. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, these are the guys, these are the people who thought, okay, well, if we make Jesus king, then he owes us something. 
You know, if we do something for God, then God will do something for us. And if we can get in on the ground floor, if we can get in early, well, then, then, we, then, then we will have an inside track to, to what we want to accomplish because God will owe us. And they thought, you know, we make, God, we make Jesus king, well, then he'll do what we want him to do. We'll have, he'll be on the hook. He'll owe us a favor, right? And so these are all motives. These are all false motives, uh, that, uh, that people follow Jesus for. Now, here's how big God is. Here's how loving God is. Here's how grace-filled and mercy-filled God is. God can start with a false motive and then draw our hearts truly to him. Yeah, we may be here only because we are forced to be here this morning, but you know what? It, it, it's no accident. It's no mistake that, that, that God wants us here singing these songs about him, reminding one another who he is and what he's done. God, it's no accident. He wants us here to hear this, this truth. Not, not hard to understand. Oh, that's so deep. But hard to accept. And that's where brothers and sisters come in, come into the picture to say, yeah, this is hard to accept. This is hard to live out. But we have one another to help spur one another on. And how we go about truly following Jesus. So, so let's talk about the essence of true discipleship. Because this is why we came right here. First, verse 67. So a lot, of, a lot of the insiders, a lot of the followers, a lot of the disciples, they left. And now it's just the 12. And Jesus says to the 12, you do not want to leave too, do you? In other words, and here's the question that Jesus has for you and I this morning, is why do you want to be a disciple? Why, why, why do you want to be a Christ follower? Because Jesus, he just demanded absolute authority and everybody splits. They're like, man, this is too much for me. And they leave. And Jesus says to them, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, and here, here, here's, here's where we're going to land this morning. He answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that we've listened, we've heard, we've investigated, we, we've, uh, we've, we've thought about this critically, and we've come to, to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus says to them, why are you staying? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? Lord, whom shall we go? And when Peter says that, what he's admitting is that I am powerless to save myself. I am helpless to help myself. Jesus, what I realize is help can't help self. That self cannot help self. That's what I've come to realize. And Jesus says, why are you staying? And people, people will ask us, the world will say, well, hey, now that the doctor's reports came back and they're not what you really wanted, what are you gonna do about that? Where are you gonna, you know, God seems to have disappointed you. Where else am I going to go? Or, or you lose your job, we lose our job. I've been there. Identity falls apart, but where else am I going to go? We have a broken relationship, a relationship ends, we have heartache. Where else are we going to go? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? For you have the words 
You have the power to save. Now here's the deal. Nathan, why don't you come out and kind of get ready to lead us into communion here. Um, Nobody likes being told what to do, right? Anybody like being told what to do? No, I mean, one husband said, yeah, keeps me out of trouble. Nobody likes being told what to do. Nobody likes being told they can't do something. I mean, you tell one, you tell, you know, I tell one of my kids they can't do something. Oh, what do you mean I can't do that? Nobody likes being told that they can't do something. Nobody likes being told they don't measure up. Nobody likes being told that you're not qualified. Nobody likes being told, no, 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 it's not me. It's definitely you. Everything about Christianity says we're not enough. We're not good enough to obtain salvation on our own. We're not powerful enough to overcome the consequences of our sin. But the beginning of being a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus is where else am I going to go? I'm helpless. I'm powerless to save myself. So Jesus, will you save me? Will you forgive me of all of my sins, past, present, and future? A true disciple starts with the, my biggest need is not to close this deal or, or to change my relationship status or even to have a good doctor's report. My biggest need, my greatest need, my deepest need is forgiveness. And only you have the power to do that, Jesus. Because Jesus came to live the life we can't live and pay and die the debt that we deserve to pay the debt that we all owe. That's what Christianity is about. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. And so when somebody says, hey, you know, what must I do to become a Christian? The only thing that we can do is to believe in what has already been done for us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which makes us every single day dependent upon God's grace to be able to take these not not hard to understand truths but hard to accept I mean it's hard to love my enemies it's hard it's difficult for me to pray for those who persecute me you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult to, to practice, to, to give to God financially and, and to trust him to, to live off less and to sacrifice for his work. It's difficult. It's difficult to put others first. It's difficult to watch other people get credit. It's difficult not to gossip about other people. It's difficult not to... Not to Get, not a, get even, but get better. It's difficult just to make Jesus first and foremost in, in my life. It's difficult to carve out room to, to just pause long enough to think about who he is and what he's done and engage him in scripture on a consistent basis because the list is just getting longer of things that I need to get done today. But thank God, thank God it's not about what we do. 
It's about what he's already done through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to remember today as we take communion. It's not what we can do for God, but what he's already done for us.